Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to this deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness and we know that for the fulfillment of this commandment we see three faithful actions that are being involved it says to set aside to renew and to be clothed from deciding these three faithful actions to set aside to renew and to be clothed will depend on whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or into the vessels of wrath or rather will we perfect the salvation uh, perfection of our salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit or will we waste it forever because of which our names will forever be blotted out in the book of life and before us was presented a question, what conditions are necessary to fulfill so that through our already renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man created by God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth. And we've already noted that for the fulfillment or for the clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man, we need to make the name of God, fortress, our portion or our lot. The Lord, our fortress, is to the one whom we run to and the one in whom we can, through our renewed thinking, be clothed into the new man. This is possible when we are in Christ and when Christ is in us. And the name of God, fortress, will help us in this. Psalms 18, verses 1 through 4. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Practically, the portion in the name of God fortress is the place on which God dwells and the limits of which we can know God be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven and clothe ourselves into the powers of our new man created by God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth. All of this occurs in God, in the God fortress. We are clothed into the new man. And again, we then are met with a second question. What price is necessary to pay so that we can give God the opportunity to be our fortress? And Brother Akadi, for a certain amount of time now, has given us certain components or certain conditions for the prices that we have to pay in order for God to become our fortress. And today we will be reminded of them and seven different components. Today we will mention seven different components and um, all of this again we have heard for the past few months. All of the what we have heard past few months, we will condense it into one sermon. The first price for the right to draw near to God is comprised of offering God the fruit of righteousness in the name Maher Shalal Hajbaz. To understand the promise and the identity of Maher Shalal Hajbaz given to the prophet Isaiah in the fruit of his womb and his son, this was his name, Maher Shalal Hajbaz, it was, it's necessary to turn to the event when King Rezin, king of Syria, had united with the Israel king Fakeah and went when they went to war against Jerusalem, against the king Ahaz, to overcome him and place another Jewish king as king. These kings didn't like the 
Jewish king. But Isaiah lived in this city where this Jewish king lived. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, the re that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods were moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remaliah. So essentially it says, Go out with your firstborn son, Jair Jashub, to go out and meet Ahab. Take heed and be quiet, do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands face anger resin Syria and the sons of Remaliah. In this event, the image of the kingdom of Judea that was in danger represents an image of the category of saints that represent the reborn spirit of man from God. And the image of the Israel kingdom is an image of the soul of this category that has not yet died to its nation, the house of its father, and the corrupt desires of its soul. That's why they, are, they unite with the Syrian king and go against the Jewish king. An image of the Syrian kingdom is an image of the body of this category in the face of reigning sin that lives in our body in the image of the Syrian kingdom. The image of the prophet Isaiah is an image of a spiritual person belonging to the category of God's chosen remnant. It's in order to unite the people in Judah among whom Isaiah had lived, God tells him to go with his son, Jair Jashub, to go out and meet King Ahaz and calm him down, that the Lord is going to protect him. They're going to be like two two fire, smoking firebrands. The son of the prophet Isaiah, Shear Jashub, firstborn, is the fruit of justification. It's not just the seed of justification, but the fruit of justification. His name means God will return his remnant from captivity. And so, Shear Jashub, the son of the prophet Isaiah, represented the state of the spirit of God's chosen remnant, who hoped in the promise that God would free them from slavery unto the Assyrian king in the face of reigning sin in their bodies, causing horror upon the carnal category of people dependent on the national emotional spheres of their soul. If we do not have the fruit of justification in our spirit and the dignity of Shear Jashub, we will not have the atmosphere in our spirit, giving us the guarantee of being freed from slavery to reigning sin in our body. Therefore, we will not be able to draw near to God in order to receive the promise in his fortress in the subject of our second son, named Maher Shalal Hajbaz, who is called to destroy in our body the power of death with one purpose, to raise up in our body the power of life. And now the name Meher Shalal Hajbaz. I think you've understood how you've arrived to this name, Meher Shalal Hajbaz.
First, we must see the illustration that in our essence, there is going to be a conflict that's going to arise. That the Assyrians are going to unite with the Israel people. The body and the soul are going to unite against the spirit because that revelation that the spirit has received did not, um, did not please the soul and the body. And that's why Isaiah was supposed to come. And Isaiah is that revelation that we accept in the format of a preached word. If a person does not have a person who is the delegated authority of God, his spirit will not have Isaiah. And therefore, his spirit and his prayer will not be able to comfort him. Isaiah is in our heart under one condition. If we accept a certain person in our life whom God has placed before us, and when I accept him, my spirit has Isaiah. And Isaiah goes to this king, Jewish king, and says, don't worry, these two kings that will unite up against you, that your carnal life and your fleshly life, they will be, uh, they will be as nothing before you. And this was comfort for him, and therefore he came with his son, Shear Jeshu. This is the fruit of justification. The fruit of justification and the seed of justification are two different things. When we are born, we receive justification as a seed. But this justification, we're not even talking about righteousness quite yet. The seed or righteousness must come from the seed, fruit. When the red justification is produced into fruit, only can then it be righteousness. And the righteousness that we're talking about, it also has an initial phase and it has fruit. We will not arrive to it though until we represent fruit. And this was the firstborn, Shear Jeshu. This firstborn is present only in when people have a confrontation between their spirit and their soul, when there is a war, and they, in fear against themselves, come, they come to fear. And when we grow in fear against ourselves, and our Isaiah begins to prophesy who God is, who, what He has done for us, and what we must do in order, on our end, to inherit all that God has done for us, and this time we grow from the seed of justification into the fruit of justification. But we're not talking about righteousness quite yet. We are continuing to proclaim. Now the time has come to move on from justification to righteousness, from Shi'ar Jashub to the other son, Meher Shalal Hajbaz. The name Meher Shalal Hajbaz in Hebrew means a quick robbery, rushing the prey. A quick robbery, rushing the prey. Under prey, we should consider the reward and the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, prepared for us in the fruit of righteousness, which will destroy the power of death in our body, and in its place, will build the power of life. Quick robbery, rushing the prey. It's when we look upon our reward, when we see a reward that is in front of us, and we, uh, we grab it and we take it for ourselves, like prey. First, we see the sun in the image of a seed, and the justification, the fruit of justification, as well follows, and then follows the fruit of righteousness. When we receive the authority to proclaim the word of God, this person, Meher Shalal Hajbaz, can do something in our essence. When a person sees his reward in the adoption of his body in the redemption of Jesus Christ, which is in the captivity of reigning sin, he 
Власть ветхого человека зиждется на законе Моисея, который дает силу греху. В силу чего оружием ветхого человека, на которое он надеется, является закон Моисея. So we must swallow up death, and for this it is necessary to understand that our enemy, that for our, in our enemy, the old man, he has a law, and to deprive him of this power, we must offer fruit in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The law of Moses would have nothing against us. All of this is possible in the death of the Lord Jesus. And now let's remember how the process of conceiving is called to occur. The process of conceiving and the process of the growth in the dignity of the name Mahershal Hajbaz. The weapon of which we are called with which we are called is to destroy the power of death in our body, to lift up or raise up the power of life. Let's read Isaiah chapter eight, verses one through three. These words are the life of a spiritual person. A spiritual person will understand this. A carnal person does not understand this. Moreover, the Lord said to me, saying, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Mahershal Hajbaz. Then I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record, Ariah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahershal Hajbaz. Before the child was conceived, his name, according to direction from God, was written by the prophet Isaiah on a large scroll, the image of which are the tablets of our heart cleansed from dead works. First, we engrave this promise into our heart. And this is only the first step. This is the seed. We have no fruit yet. That which we have written, it cannot do anything for us quite yet. From the existing statement, the prophet Isaiah first had to take a scroll and clearly inscribe the name of the promise on it in the dignity of the name, Mahershal Hajbaz, which, if certain conditions are met, will become the fruit of his womb. The fruit, a child, to whom we can say, my son. In the first step, Isaiah was called to consider himself dead to sin and alive to God, calling the non-existent fruit of the womb and the dignity of the name Mahershal Hajbaz as though it exists. Upon fulfilling this condition, we get the right to draw near to God. To draw near to God for what? In order to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. When we call the non-existent as existent, This gives us the opportunity to enter into the room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Again, when we call, when everyone, when everyone surrounding us speaks negatively, but when we call the non-existent as existent, because it is engraved in our hearts, 
Then we receive the opportunity to draw near to God so that we can conceive this great and precious promise. In practice, the prophet Isaiah, in the presence of two faithful witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, had to draw near to the prophetess that she conceived and gave birth to a son, whom he at the command of God named Meher Shal Hajbaz. This is the name that he wrote on this scroll. And for this purpose, we, like Isaiah, have to proclaim the faith of God that abides in our heart, in the promise of our hope which contains the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. In practice, our lips that proclaim the faith of God that abides in our heart, in the promise, Maher Shalal Hajbaz, is the seed which fertilizes our prophetic spirit. It turns out that God can fertilize my spirit along with me through my proclamations and declarations. This is the beauty in all of it. But as soon as the Archangel Gabriel says, when he speaks a word, when we say, let it be to according to my word, he says, no, the Archangel Gabriel, Isaiah, all of this is in you. That's why when a person begins to proclaim this word, that is anointed by God, that is engraved on the tablets of his heart, his heart that was previously cleansed from dead works, then he is fertilized by this word. And therefore, for this purpose, we, like Isaiah, must uh, have the faith of God that abides in our heart and the promise of our hope, which is which contains the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. In practice, our lips that proclaim the faith of God that abides in our heart and the promise of Mahershal Hajbaz is a seed which fertilizes our prophetic spirit. The two witnesses in the presence of which Meher Shal Hajbas was conceived points to Urim and Thumim abiding in our heart. The name of the first faithful witness, Uriah, means the Lord is my light, which points to the presence of Urim in our heart in the face of the Holy Spirit, who reveals the significance of the truth of Thumim, who is represented by the second faithful servant in the face of Zechariah, whose name means, the Lord remembered his word, which he hid in the depths of hell, and raised it up from these ruins. And so let us draw a conclusion. If we accept and grow in our heart the seed of justification and the fruit of Shi'ar Jashub, we can in the presence of two faithful witnesses in the dignity of Urim and Thumim, inherit the adoption of our body the redemption of Christ in the fruit Maher Shalal Hajbaz, giving God the foundation to be our fortress. And this is the first price for the right to draw near to God. Drawing near to God so God can be our fortress. The second price for the right to draw near to God is comprised of fulfilling the conditions that make our heart a fortress for the Holy Spirit, which give the Lord Jesus the foundation to seat us on his throne, which is called to become our fortress. So we cannot draw near to God if first our heart does not become a fortress for the Holy Spirit. This is what is interesting. We, can, we want to run to God but we have certain problems, certain questions. We run to God, but we've forgotten one thing. He can't run to us. And this is a problem. 
Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. The phrase, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, tells us that the knock on the door of our heart discovers itself in the voice of the Holy Spirit, who represents the voice of the Lord Jesus on the lips of those people to whom he entrusted his word and made his lips. Again, one more time. The knock on the door of our heart discovers itself in the voice of the Holy Spirit who represents the voice of the Lord Jesus on the lips of those people to whom he entrusted his word and made his lips or his mouth. We should know that the Holy Spirit knocks on the heart of a person through the preached word about the kingdom of heaven so that we could hear his voice in the lips of a person whom he has made his lips and gave him the wisdom. Let us read a few more places of scripture. What the angel of the church, or what was said to the later occasions. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And so the first condition from the context that we had read above, we see that in this, uh, in this letter where God shows us his love so that our heart could become a fortress for him, we see these words, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. On one hand, the phrase, I could wish you were cold or hot, tells us that God does not have patience for tolerance toward evil company. To be hot means to be alive for God. The definition of this kind of heat is a burning lamp. To be cold means to be dead to sin. The definition of such death to sin is evidence that we have died to our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt desires of our soul. To be lukewarm means to be tolerant toward evil company, or rather, have an outward appearance of godliness while denying its power. Thus, if we are alive for God, we will be dead to sin, and on the contrary, if we are dead to sin, we will be alive for God. 
The second condition out of what we had read above are the words, you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, but do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This condition is that we repent and promise not to measure ourselves, and not to compare ourselves with ourselves, but to measure ourselves with the words of justice presented in the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the apostles, prophets, and teachers anointed by God to build the church. First, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We must not measure ourselves against ourselves and those people who um, appoint themselves as leaders in the church. Usually people who appoint themselves as leaders, for example, they take words that pastor preaches and they take phrases here and there they take phrases here and there and don't uh, take the whole essence and then a water comes when a water not one who plants but one who waters comes out and says you need to imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is not correct because this person is appointing himself as a planter. There's a certain person we must compare ourselves with. I compare myself or compare ourselves to Pastor Akkadi and so should you. I never ask someone to measure themselves against me if I make mistakes and some I do make mistakes because like you, I am learning. But there must be one example we must follow. Back in the Soviet Union, people worked. We were given one example for the whole class. We use this one example to follow along to solve the problem. And if you do something incorrectly that was shown in the problem, you're going to get a completely different answer. The third condition for our heart to become a fortress for God is in the words, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Gold refined in fire, which we must be enriched with for our heart to become a fortress for God and God to become our fortress, is the reigning teaching of Christ free from interpretations of the flesh that distort the truth of the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15-17 through 17. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the one the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. To purchase this gold refined in fire means to be clothed in the dignity of a disciple who pays the price for his discipleship by submitting to the word of the person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God. The fourth condition are the words, I counsel you to buy from me white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. White garments we are called to be clothed in, so that the shame of our nakedness may not be revealed. 
is the profit from the fruit of righteousness received by us from the deposit of justification that we placed into circulation. So this is righteousness that we have received from justification. Justification became righteousness for us. First we received the truth, which in turn allowed us to accept justification so that we could become righteous, practicing works of righteousness. Truth, justification, righteous, and righteousness. This is the Christian faith teaching. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Therefore, justification, purity, is called to be transformed into light into a linen clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints righteousness this is what the bride of the lamb is clothed in the fifth condition is found in the words I counsel you to buy from me eye salve and anoint your eyes that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent eye salve that we are called to anoint our eyes with is so that we can see who God is for us what God has done for us who we are for God and what we must do to inherit all that God has done for us. This is I-Self. If we do not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of a person who is the voice of God, we will open the door of our heart to another foreign voice who portrays himself as the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of a person who plays himself as a teacher and prophet. This was the second component for the price for how God can become our fortress. The third price for the right to draw near to God or to allow God to become our fortress is a refusal to drink alcoholic drinks. And Brother Akadi, and a uh, he said, Holy Spirit told, placed in my heart to continually remind people of this because if we don't teach about this, then the church the church does not hear about this, they may fall into it. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. Before the rapture of the bride of the Lamb from the earth, the church and majority will renounce the ban on alcoholic drinks. That's why in its midst, there will be an unusual deficit of sobriety. It was this element of wickedness that highlighted the days of Elijah, which are an image of our days. It is this element of wickedness, again, that highlighted the days of Elijah. And we will read about this in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. This tolerant relationship toward alcohol will be present also in our last days. Let us take a look at the tolerance that existed during the times of Christ. 
God had given them the command to not drink alcoholic drink. Now this is one of the very important things present back then as it is now. Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. This is what the Lord says regarding the prophet John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's remember ten reasons, although many more exist, why it is sin to drink wine or alcoholic drink, and how God acts toward those who do drink it. The first, wine contains the property of mockery and brawling, and he who is led by it is foolish. Second, wine contains the property of seduction, lulling one's conscience and luring a person into debauchery. Third, wine contains the property to deprive kings and princes of their royal dignity. Fourth, the consumption of wine contains grief for all who consume it. Fifth, the consumption of wine is the price for which a person sells his inheritance in the subject of the kingdom of God and loses his salvation. Sixth, the consumption of wine gives rise to profligacy and is in no way compatible with the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. 7. The consumption of wine refers to the works of the flesh and is incompatible with the bearing of the fruit of holiness to God. 8. The consumption of wine and the service of God in the temple of one's body are incompatible. Ninth, the consumption of wine deprives a person of his dedication associated with his vocation. And tenth, those who consume earthly wine, like reaping and retribution, will drink the wine of God's fury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her, just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 through 6. The danger of alcohol in any dose is incompatible with the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. It is necessary to resolutely and irrevocably abandon it, remembering that the, for the children of God, a sober life is the way to fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. And for those who insist on the cultural drinking of wine, there can be no way to make their heart a fortress for God, to give God a foundation to make himself a fortress for them. The fourth price for the right to draw near to God is comprised of the presence of a veil on our head. Leviticus 10.6 And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. 
According to scripture, we've already stated that more than once in the veils that cover a head are always a sign of recognition of the delegated authority of God over oneself. And such a recognition of authority over oneself is considered by God as the presence of his glory and his magnific magnificence upon men. Exodus chapter 28 verse 40 For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. From all this it follows that the prayer of a person who does not recognize the delegated authority of God over himself and makes an attempt to run to God will be blocked by God. Because recognition of the delegated authority of God over oneself gives us the opportunity to live under the shelter of the Almighty and rest under the shadow of the Almighty. To live under the shadow of the Almighty or to have a veil on our head in the language of the New Testament means to abide in Christ or to be hidden in God. To have a veil on our head means to live under the shadow of the Almighty, and to live under the shadow of the Almighty is to abide in Christ. Now, if a person does not accept the delegated authority of God over himself, then can he be found under the shelter of God? He can, because he's not abiding in Christ. The fifth price for the right to draw near to God is comprised of the washing of our body with water, with true water. Exodus chapter 30, verse 20. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burden offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. Despite the fact that these people were chosen out of the people of Israel and were prepared and dedicated to ministry to God through a special anointing, each time they entered into the tabernacle of meeting to minister to God, they were called to wash their bodies with pure water. Anointing is good. People say, oh, I feel anointing, I feel anointing. Well, we must wash our bodies with pure waters because anointing is sometimes also related to the flesh when somebody places anointing as a top priority. Solomon, according to the revelation received from God by his father David, made the sea of cast bronze and set it on the outer courtyard of the temple in front of the entrance of the temple so that the priests anointed by God could wash their bodies. 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 13 to 26. Now King Solomon sat and brought Haram from Tyr. He was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyr, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all his work. And he made the sea of cast bronze, ten cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds and circling it all around, ten to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The ornamental buds were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east, and the sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like a brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained two thousand baths. The image of a bronze sea with pure water 
is an image of our conscience. That which I have read, all of this is found in our heart, in our spirit, which is a substance of our conscience. This bronze sea with pure water is an image of our conscience that is cleansed from dead works with a sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ in which is sealed the reigning teaching of Christ anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the dignity of pure water. The bronze sea, again, is a conscience that is cleansed from dead works in which the law of God is engraved, the teaching of Christ. Thus, each time when we draw near to God, the presence of a conscience that is cleansed from dead works by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ with the engraving of the renamed teaching of Christ on it gives us the ability to cleanse our mo motives and our prayer words from every foreign premises of the flesh. So we cleanse our motives or our prayer words through the bronze sea. When we come in prayer, we must have a bronze sea where we cleanse the motives of our heart and prayer words. We might have good motives, but incorrect prayer words. There might be beautiful prayer words, but incorrect motives. Both must be cleansed through this bronze sea. Now let's look at who is Hiram in our tripartite essence, who is called to build our heart into a bronze sea, which through a good conscience could lead the ship of our faith into the fortress of God. Hiram was a person who worked with bronze. It's interesting that Hiram had built this bronze sea is uh, the son of a nameless widow from the tribe of Naphtali. We know that in Hebrew the name Naphtali, Naphtali patriarch means wrestler. The deceased father of Haram the Phoenician was a resident of Tyre who descended from Japheth, son of Noah. The Phoenicians came from Japheth, son of Noah. Thus, Haram, this person who created this bronze sea, is a symbiosis in which we see the collaboration of the mind of Christ in the face of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali with the reasonable sphere of our soul in the face of the father Hiram. These are two different things, but they serve for a benefit because they work together, collaborate with one another. And again, the image of Haram is a symbiosis of the mind of Christ and the rational sphere of our soul. They are present when we begin to renew our thinking. When we begin to renew our thinking with the teaching of Christ that is written in our hearts, we have a symbiosis. And we produce Haram. Haram who creates this bronze sea. And this bronze sea allows us to cleanse our motives from incorrect prayer words. The sea of the cast bronze, ten cubits in width, represented divine purity and holiness and the tripartite essence of a person, thanks to which a person could receive the legal right to draw near to God. Hebrews 12:14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 
10 cubits in width. Meaning we must carry this holiness. That again we read in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The drawings see five cubits in height represent the order of God and the tripartite essence of a person in which a person can be found under the shadow of the Almighty and dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Psalms 91 verses 1 through 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God and Him I will trust. The circular shape of the bronze sea in the temple of our body represented the image of the right of the Word of God in which a person was called to rule over himself just as God, sitting above the circle of the earth, ruling over it with his word. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Isaiah chapter 4, verses 22 through 22. Circle of the earth, the bronze sea, meaning I do not compare myself to myself or with those people who have established themselves. I, establish, or I compare myself to the person whom God has placed or established. God gave the one who plants and the one who waters. This one who plants gives to those who water. To my great joy, I am a, wa I am a waterer. I thank God that we have the person whom God has clothed to represent the fatherhood of God on earth, and he can be this, his, this planter. I can say, you can imitate me like I imitate pastor in certain things, in holy things. This is important for all waterers to do. Furthermore, the circumference of the bronze sea comprised of 30 cubits in the temple of our body is an image indicating priesthood in which a person, through total consecration for 30 years, received a legal right to total dedication. And there were also ornamental buds under the rim of the circum circumference of the bronze sea. This is in Genesis chapter 5. After he got Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. The 12 bronze oxen, looking at the four cardinal points in their body, is in the body of a person the foundation of the throne of God and ju justice and righteousness and the dignity of the broad of our lips, professing the faith of God abiding in our heart. The 12 bronze oxen, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Psalms 89:14. The span of the bronze sea, being a handbreadth, is a, in the temple of our body, represents a legal sacred action in which a person cleanses his terrestrial body before the Lord so that it is prepared to transform into a heavenly body. Let us read where this was present. Because the span of the bronze sea was a handbreadth. Leviticus chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trestle 
priest's pass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Leviticus chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. The brim of the cup of the bronze sea resembling a blooming lily in a temple of our body classify us as a wife, the bride of the Lamb, who by nature is akin to the nature of God. Songs of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. I am the rose of Sharon, and lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. And what is this pure water in a tripartite essence that was in this bronze sea? The pure water contained in the bronze sea, we mean two great witnesses who stand before God of the whole earth. This is the truth of the gospel of the word of God, and the truth about the Holy Spirit called to reveal the truth of the word in the heart, if of course it is present there. Hebrews 10, 19-23. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And washing our body with pure water in the bronze sea gives us the legal right to draw near to God and adhere to the confession of hope without wavering, so that God, as a promised one, can fulfill it. Here's another place of scripture that tells us about this pure water that's found in the bronze sea. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So here we see that Christ is going to cleanse his church through this pure water. For there to be pure water there, we need to collaborate with God in order to create this bronze sea. And when we have this bronze sea, we have this pure water, and this pure water, uh, within this pure water we begin to wash ourselves. Christ never does anything without us. And all of this uh, the Gibeonites had done in the temple. And who were the Gibeonites in the temple of our body who cut wood for the bronze altar and carried water for the bronze sea? These Gibeonites represent the rational sphere of our soul. Given, having given the members of our body over into slaves of righteousness. The rational sphere of our soul has given its members up to slaves of righteousness. We know that Gibeonites had entered into a covenant with the people of Israel and became one nation. And according to the covenant, the Gibeonites became voluntary slaves of the temple of the Lord. Their task was to chop wood for the copper altar, burnt offerings, and carry water to fill the bronze sea. The capital of the Gibeonites was Gibeon. The meaning of the name Gibeon means elevation of a hill. In scripture, a hill is an image and a place of God's covenant with man and man with God. 
When the five surrounding kingdoms learned that the Gibeonites made a covenant with the people of Israel, they united and went to war against the Gibeonites. When the five emotions in our in my body I found out that the rational abilities of my soul had made and had be, had stepped into a covenant with God, and they rised up against me. These five kingdoms rised against the Gibeonites, and by virtue of the covenant that the Gibeonites made with the people of Israel, the Israelites came out in defense of the Gibeonites and went into war against the five kings that surrounded Gibeon. Because we, knew, because we have renewed ourselves with the spirit of our thinking, uh, and when our emotions find this out, they begin to war against us. And this was one of the most significant battles in the land of Canaan, in which God directly physically participated, and in which God, neither until that day, nor before, nor after, would listen to the voice of a person in the face of Joshua, that the sun would stop over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. And this is written in Joshua chapter 10, verses 7 through 14. In captivity of which is our body. And until the emotional sphere of the soul is subjugated by the power of the mind, which is dependent on the mind of Christ, we will not be able to give the members of our body into slaves of righteousness. And therefore, the members of our body who were not given over to slaves of righteousness will not be able to make our hearts a fortress for God, and they will not be able to give God a reason to become our fortress. The sixth price for the right to turn near to God is comprised of the ability to let out a sound with the presence of golden bells upon the hem of the robe all around, between pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet. This is the golden bells, or the sound that sounds from these golden bells that we are referring to that we must also carry in our essence. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound it will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. Exodus chapter 28, verses 33-35. The pomegranates, the golden bell and the pomegranate, meaning the sound that we hear, the sounds of the truth and our humility. Again, the golden bells is an image of the person anointed by God with meek lips who represents the authority of God and the interests of God in service to God. The sound that the golden bells make, which are found upon the pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, is referring to prayer in tongues that creates an atmosphere for the fruit of holiness presented in the dignity of pomegranates. Very interesting phrase. And therefore, speaking in tongues without the presence of the fruit of holiness are empty words that are not verified by the fruit of meek lips, which will be incriminated as sorcery and witchcraft. Allow us to again read a place of scripture. We need to repeat this for ourselves because we speak in tongues. We need to know how to quickly do so. 
Speaking in tongues without the presence of the fruit of holiness, again, are empty words that are not verified by the fruit of meek lips. One must not speak in tongues if it does not have the fruit of holiness. Otherwise, we will be speaking empty words that will be incriminated or viewed as sorcery and witchcraft. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-7 through 7. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. To summarize this concept, if we do not comprehend the conditions of total sanctification, that pursues the goals of total dedication, we cannot have holy garments and therefore we cannot have golden bells that could be found on the hem of the garment near the pomegranates. And if by remaining in this state we think that we are running to God, then we need to seriously think about whether or not our own intellect is our deity or is our deity some other demonic spirit which we call the Holy Spirit. We will um, not go over the seventh price because Pastor had not finished talking about it on on Friday. Uh, it is comprised of uh, is comprised of bringing a sweet incense into the presence of God. And he had talked about this Friday, and he had not concluded it. And we will allow Brother Arkady to finish it. Um, so that we can obtain the material so that we can bring a swing incense into the presence of God. And now we are going to, and of course I along with you may bow my head in prayer and we are going to pray. And the Lord is going to bless us in this prayer so that in this place all of the bounds of hell can be loosened so that all those fears that are found under curse they were, we understand that they were redeemed 2,000 years ago and we can use this redemption when we engrave this promise into our heart and we proclaim it upon the holy place of God and therefore we are going to sing up song and ask all saints whom God calls, moves their hearts to either come to repent or to dedicate themselves or say, Lord, let me cleanse not just my vile words. Allow me to also cleanse the motives of my heart. Everyone is in need of this, not just children. There will come a time 
when all of us have come out here. We don't need to do this all the time, so that this isn't a show. But we need to do this when the Holy Spirit moves us. That's why we call you, we ask you here, we will pray along with you, and we will unite with you. Amen. Pray with your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. Your eyes closed, your hands raised to the Lord to accept what He has prepared for you. Repeat this prayer along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with a broken heart, dependence on sin, with illness, fears, a broken honor, I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wounds, restore me, protect me, the blood of your Son. I believe in your word. I unveil my heart so that the Almighty Word, healing and free, could enter into my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified, I am restored. Amen. Your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. 
May He come down upon you with your holy face. May have mercy upon you and give you peace. May thousands fall of your enemies fall and not draw near to you. May all of these blessings come upon you and upon your descendants and may be fulfilled upon you. Let the people say Amen. Amen and Amen. Let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.